Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the uh, Ludini Rock and Roll Circus uh, interview series. Uh, we just keep cranking out these interviews. Uh, they're very popular. We've got a lot of musicians out there listening, and they're learning a lot and uh, getting an opportunity to uh, get a sort of like peek into the hood of how uh, the uh, music business works. And uh, today I am speaking with a very, very interesting uh, lady, uh, Tanisha Jackson. Uh, she's an artist. She's been an artist manager, tour manager, deal maker, and lecturer. She travels all over the world. She's been in the music business for a very long time. She's got a lot of experience, works as a consultant. She took her uh, uh, education from William & Mary and has applied that to artist managing and consulting. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus, Miss Tanisha Jackson. Welcome, Tanisha. How are you? I'm great. How about you, Lou? <laughs> I'm feeling really good. Um, Okay, well, so let's just start from the beginning. How did you get? How did you get into music? Oh, you're a musician, so tell us a little bit about what you do, and then how did that get into uh, artist advocacy and all the things that you do? Sure. Well, I think calling me a musician is a little bit charitable. Um, <laughs> I, I started. And I started in music because, well, you know, I think everyone sort of in their formative years, they sort of go with their parents and their siblings, of which I have many. I'm, I'm the youngest of 11. So because I have, you know, this, this broad range of siblings, that, means, that sort of means I sort of covered many, many eras and genres of music just by osmosis and listening to them. So, you know, pretty much Everything that they listen to ranges from R&B to metal to everything in between. So, and then my mother is really into classic gospel and very early rock and roll and R&B. So all of those sort of shaped my musical voice, I guess, and, and what I gravitated to when it came time to pick a career and then when it came time to actually start trying to do this myself. I sing a little bit. I played piano for several years um, when I was younger, and I'm just now learning how to play bass, which I believe is my true spirit instrument, even if oh, I'm not nice. great at it as I would like to be. <laughs> okay. So, but you've taken your all this sort of musical... Uh, this musical stew, if you will, if we if we could use a word, uh, that you've sort of been immersed in your whole life, and you have gone into the sort of the business side of it. So tell us about getting into that, and how did you get started with that? So, um, at, like during college, I attended college at the University of Pittsburgh. Go Pitt, good win. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> had to shout that out. And then after that, I went to William and Mary Law School. And throughout that time, um, I, I was I've been collecting records for a long time, and that sort of garnered the interest of many 
legendary artist of whom whose records I was collecting. And, and so I started making contacts in that way. I still wasn't sure if I wanted to be in the business. I thought I wanted to study it in a more academic sense than academia. Um, but then I decided I wanted a more practical application. So when I got to law school, as everyone's deciding they wanted to go to a you know large law firm and school it out for years as, a, as an associate and then become a partner, that's the typical track. I was sort of forming what I wanted my career to look like, and I wanted it to be, you know, really impassioned artist advocacy. So I, I just started asking some of those contacts that I made along the way, you know, how best to get into it. And then I started doing a lot of free work upon graduation, um, writing wire notes, working on promotional campaigns for for independent artists and things like that. And then before you know it, I had a skill and I was able to actually earn money on the skill. And that's when I decided um, this is my career, you know, and this is the trajectory I would like to follow. You were clicking records and you started to just reach out to people who were... Right. I mean, I'll give you a great example. Uh, I, one of my, well, not one of my favorites, but I think my favorite group of all time is Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Okay. And, um, I had an opportunity to meet Claudette Robinson, who was one of the original Miracles as well as the wife of Smokey. And now she and I are really good friends. Um, you know, she's sort of like a mother figure to me, and we hang out when I go to L.A. and things like that. But that's just kind of an example of this sort of personal relationship, and it leads to a sort of mentorship, especially since she's a woman who was in the business back in that era, and here I am. We were on different sides of it a little bit, but, you know, it's still just being able to lean on someone's knowledge is, is so important. So I just sort of started reaching out to people, and, and that's the perfect example of a friendship that's gone on, you know, through that time to present. What I what uh, and this the reason I wanted you to delve into that point a little deeper is because one of the things I've discovered uh, doing what I'm doing is people are much more willing to talk to you than you think. Um, so uh, you know the sort of like message I'd like my audience to get from this is like don't be too shy about reaching out to your quote unquote heroes or the people that are maybe a few steps ahead of you in in your uh, genre or in your market. Because very often they're they're not the sort of like uh, distant don't get near me sort of people that you might you might think. Um, I've had very good luck with getting people like like Tanisha is is a good example here. Uh, just by reaching out and you know starting a conversation, you'd be surprised who's willing to talk to you. So um, that's why that's why I wanted you to delve into that um, a little a little deeper there. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so. You you sent me you sent me some notes, and right. you you have favorite aspect of the biz the artists. So let's get into that a little bit. What's why why do you love the artists so much? Well, um, I think artists. I don't I don't want to wax you know poetic or rhapsodic. <laughs> Go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> well, um, artists are just such you know fully expressed human beings, and 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 they allow themselves to be open to everything and um, to a certain extent to everybody. And, and 
from a management perspective, that can be a little annoying, you know, because you're, sometimes you're you're trying to be that gatekeeper uh, as to what's good and what's not good. But artists are just so enveloping and so open, and um, also really intelligent. Just it's super super intelligent. Just not not just they're not they don't tend to limit themselves one area of expertise. It's like they're, by nature, they're explorers. So without, you know, shading anybody else, I tend, like, I tend to have very good conversations with musicians just because they're so robust and what they've explored and what they've seen, you know, globally and just in their art and in their interactions with people. So I just think they're just extremely cool. So and I'm a big advocate of if you really want to appreciate the art, make sure that you appreciate the artists. They're hardworking people. Um, so, you know, don't take that for granted and just assume that, that when they get on a plane and you see them carrying a guitar case, that it's okay to say, hey, can you pull out your guitar and play, you know? Um, <laughs> just, like, you know, really, really respecting what it is that they do it is something that I, I really try to focus on personally and professionally. So that's that's my big love letter to, to musicians, I think, to artists. <laughs> um, you, uh, so, so speaking of artists and your interaction, what exactly, now tell, tell us a little bit about what the kind of service, what kind of services you provide for artists. You could be, be, be a little more specific here with us. Sure. So management is sort of an all-encompassing deal, which is probably why I, I'm, I'm focusing less and less on management because it is it takes up a lot of time and energy. I am currently managing a few artists, one of whom is um, a wonderful, beautiful singer by the name of Tamika Peoples. Her father is a, a, another amazing artist named Theo Peoples. And Tamika currently sings with the likes of Kenny Lattimore, and she's also going to be singing with Leona Lewis but she's also working on her solo aspirations as well. So management is a lot more end-to-end, day-to-day, whatever comes up. You know, it it really is whatever comes up. So it might just be invoicing for the gigs, or it's a lot more strategic, like working on the strategic thrust of, of where she's going next in the next five years and where that artist is going. I also um, work on endorsements for musicians because that tends to be a very important one, especially when you're talking about instrumentalists. So connecting artists with uh, manufacturers that provide you know, their instruments. So I, I have a really good relationship with companies like Yamaha or Union Blues. And you know, Yamaha makes many different instruments most notably keyboards, but also basses and trumpets and things like that. And Reunion Blues actually makes bags, you know, to carry those things around. So those sorts of endorsements help musicians by creating profile and another stream of promotion, but also kind of cutting costs a little bit because you oftentimes get a preferred rate on those brands um, or sometimes, not in every case, Sometimes you get it gratis. Or when you have a gig, you know, you can get 
a piano or ego or something. So it, okay. just makes, it, it makes life easier for the musicians. I'm a big advocate and firm believer in endorsement relationships. So I've really sort of honed the skill on that. And then I do PR and um, a lot of writing for artists, you know, just writing and promotional writing, I should say. So liner notes and biographies and things like that. It really runs the gamut. And then there's also the negotiation side where I negotiate deals, like publishing deals or performance deals for artists. So it really ranges. Um, And I'm blessed to have a really robust and and wide-ranging practice in what I do for artists. Um, are you? Do you uh, scout for new talent as well, or um, are you looking for new talent to work with? I'm always looking for new talent. Um, in recent years, it's sort of just come to me, um, and, and I'm not I'm not bragging about that. It's just sort of serendipity, and once you've sort of been in the trenches for a while, it just starts coming to you. But I'm always looking for really good artists who who maybe don't know where to go next and to provide that structure and that guidance for them, that I'm absolutely open to that. What, uh, what do you look for in an artist? I mean, you seem like me. I'm getting the impression that your, your interests are pretty varied. It seems like you like a lot. A lot but it just, uh, uh, genre aside for just a second, we'll talk about genres in a second, but in terms of the, artist is him or herself what kind of, what what do you look for do they have to have certain things established already what do you look for certain kind of attitude what, what do you look for the biggest thing for me is attitude um a, a couple of weeks ago i was talking to someone <clears throat> excuse me and and he was saying oh wow you should really meet such and such um and then he he went on to qualify that by saying that this person really doesn't have much of a drive and that's where I have to just stop it because it's really hard. I've been in the position where I've been the the sort of combustible element behind someone trying to push them. Right. And that doesn't work. It just simply doesn't work. The motivation has to be within the artist already. I thought, you know, when you're in your twenties these are things that you learn. But you know, back then I, I was thinking that, you know, my motivation and, and my vision and the fact that I see so much for this person really isn't enough. Back then I thought it was, and, and now I'm, I'm learning that, that is just not it. So I really look for someone with a level of um, self-initiative, self-starting. That's really important. Of course, talent's important as well. But I would almost say, you know, it's a given. The talent's a given. It's sort of like, you know, when when you hear women talk about, oh, I want to meet someone who's great. Well, that's sort of a given. But, (laughs) you know, that's sort of like an unspoken. So, of course, if we're talking about artist management, artist implies talent. So, of course, I'm looking for a talented person. But more than that, I'm looking for someone who is driven enough to move forward with that talent, because if you don't, we're both going to be two very frustrated individuals. Um, in terms of where you are, yeah, it's really easy to grab someone when they're right on the cusp of greatness. And I'm, I'm certain, look, if you're on the cusp of greatness and you want to call me, please do. But <laughs> I, I also like developing artists from 
the beginning, too. So uh, it, it really doesn't matter so much where you are on the spectrum, just as long as you're willing to make the moves to get to the next point, wherever that may be. Okay. Uh, so okay. All right. And that that's fantastic. Thank you for like uh, expounding on that. Now, do you have a certain uh, because different P- PR people have um, certain genres that they work best in? You know, um, I, uh, I you know I, I recently did a whole uh, uh, thing with Michael Stover. I don't know if you know who he is um, and all his artists. And he's more of a you know rock metal and country, some Americana and some stuff like that, but he has a certain sort of niche, few niches that he works in. Where where, where do you sort of lie, Tanisha? What, what, what uh, styles or genres do you work with? Um, my primary genres would probably be jazz, R&B, classic soul, pop music, um, a little bit of Nashville. I've touched on a little bit of Nashville, and so a lot comes out of Nashville. That's why I'm saying the city as opposed to the country. So, you know, some, right. some, some adult contemporary pop, those would probably be the genres where I'm, I work best. It's not because I, I just want to sort of clarify. The reason why niches happen isn't because there's a unique set of skills required for raw versus you know, hip-hop or country. It's because once you start working in one, you start meeting those contacts and developing those contacts. So if I've been working with a jazz crowd for many years, then that means that most of my magazine contacts are going to be with jazz. Most of my, you know, interview contacts are going to be jazz-oriented. So it's not that we're doing anything differently. It's just that our contacts probably make it easier for us to deal with a certain artist. And and I wanted to make that qualifier just because this industry is so small. I probably know someone in every genre. <laughs> yeah. So, so don't feel like, oh, wow, that manager, that publicist only works with jazz musicians, so they can't help me you can still reach out because I might be able to connect you with someone that I highly regard in country or in rock and someone who actually is professional and good and straightforward is going to tell you, look, I may not be able to help you because it's going to take me a while to get you the rock magazine contacts because I just don't know them right now, but I could do it. But I do know someone who's already established in that. I'm going to pass you along to those people. So I just want to put that out there because sometimes you might be in a city where it's only countries and you're into hip-hop. So what do you do? Still reach out to those publicists, you know. Um, that's that's great advice. And um, from talking to a lot of people who are uh, who do what you do, Tanisha, um, that's the exact uh, that's the exact story or the exact uh, explanation that I have too. Is that you just oh you find yourself making connections in a certain area, and so you know you may before you know it you know everybody or like almost everybody who's in the country. You just do because you ended up with an artist with that. You reached out, and over the course of a period of time, few years or whatever, you have good buddies at a lot of blogs and magazines and stuff who uh, you know who just are you know that's that that's just they're, they're servicing that genre. So that just allows you to help people in that genre. That doesn't mean though that yeah and the skill set's the same i get it you know it's the, you know you've got to you've got to be you know it's creating those relationships 
Um, let's talk a little bit more about some of your per- personal things that you have going on here. Um, you, uh, pre- you're preparing to record your own EP? What's, what's this all about? So, yeah, I, I've been writing for a very long time. Smokey Robinson is a big inspiration of mine. So, obviously, if I dig Smokey, I dig writing because he's a constant <laughs> writer. Um, so, I've been writing for years. I've actually written some songs that have been recorded by some people, um, sometimes ghosting, sometimes with my name out front. But... Um, so I do like to sing. I don't think I'm really good at it, or or I'll say what I hear when I sing isn't exactly what I like to hear when I hear others sing. So I have a very girlish voice, but I like really soulful women like, you know, Arisa and Edda and, you know, just those kinds of people. So when I hear my voice, I'm like, eh, not, not quite. It's not there. But I still have a passion for doing it. So I, I kind of want to put some of the songs that I've written to to fruition. Um, maybe I'd like other people to record them, but I kind of consider this a glorified demo project. So I'm sort of working on picking maybe four or five of my favorite pieces that I've written and getting some of my favorite musicians together and just having a blast in the studio and, and hammering out four to five tracks that I can either pitch myself if they're good enough as an artist or pitch to some of my favorite singers and have them sing them and, and make huge amounts of money and go on to that sort of like huge, huge amounts of money is always good. Go ahead. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's a little, I know a lot of people think it's a little bit of a pipe dream in today's music uh, marketplace. But, you know, just kind of getting my work out there and something that I, I really wanted to switch to in 2015. Not not making it the sole focus, but certainly I want to explore that aspect of, of me as well as the, you know, hard-nosed negotiator side that I, I've been working in for so many years. Okay, so uh, so this is a chance for you to sort of like it's, it's find your, uh, you know, express yourself artistically your, your, through your songwriting. What we haven't covered yet. Okay, um, the, so you are also a music historian and preservationist. What is that? <laughs> well, I, so I have a real passion for, for really, really old music. Like I, I, I love Motown, not just the hits but all the way down deep into the, you know, one-offs and the B-sides and the unreleased cuts. And I, I love exploring, like, very rare soul labels from... The how many, excuse me, real quick, how, 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 many, how many vinyl records do you have? I think they probably... I kind of slowed down in my professional era. Like, after college, I, I sort of slowed it down. So I would say I'm, I'm holding steady at around 600. Nice. It's very, nice. I think it's kind of modest right now. I mean, um, <laughs> Do you feel like you're slacking? <laughs> I, I feel like I'm slacking off, but, you know, I've, I've got some good records, though. I, I, and cool. I certainly, I, I think I've completed everything with Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. I think I have everything except for one, their earliest record. Um, Hello, We're the Miracles. Hi, We're the Miracles. That's it. I don't have that one, but I have everything else. <laughs> okay. But go ahead, continue with the, your uh, the being a music historian and preservationist. So yeah, so I just really feel like um, 
it, it often upsets me when people of my generation and younger, they don't, you know, there's oftentimes, well, not often, frequently, there you'll listen to a, a rap record or a hip-hop record and the track is something else. You know, it's, it's a Curtis Mayfield song or it's a Philadelphia International Records bottom to it. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, I know rap is, is what it is, but the bottom is nothing but, you know, 1970s funk or soul. And the, the people listening to that record, whatever that record is, may not know where that originated from, but they're obviously being moved by the music that's playing underneath because rhythm is very important in those genres. So you be, there, there's, we're in an interesting time where there's so much referencing of older music, but maybe not a complete appreciation of the artist. And going back to my whole platform of artist advocacy, if, if you don't know that, then that creates a, a scene that's ripe for exploitation. Um, perfect example would be the Blurred Lines case, right? Um, so it, it's like new artists does something that references older artists Older artists doesn't really, you know, reap the benefits of, of this newfound creative use of, of the work. And so it leads to this, this scene where the music is being exploited, but the artist isn't being honored appropriately. So I feel like cultural preservation is very important just from the, the perspective of respecting artists because at some point, the contemporary artists that everyone listens to, whether they're pop or indie, will be quote-unquote classic artists. And they will want to be appreciated for what they've done, no matter you know what their stature was in the industry at this point in time. They will want to be honored, and they will want to be celebrated for what they've done, especially if someone's been influenced by it. So I just feel like cultural preservation is something we should all make an effort to engage in. And I just really like to put that into my contemporary business because we're all biting off of somebody. I think this industry is, you're always copying. The grades are always copying. But we should maintain a culture of like acknowledgement so that artists are being celebrated, whether they were from the 1950s or from today. So it's just all about respecting artists no matter what time frame they existed in for me. Well, well, well said. I really can't add anything to that that's uh, fantastic. Um, I, you said here that you're advocating for uh, digital liner notes uh, so that side men and women um, who really make the records <laughs> are acknowledged um, at, at all times. I mean, I know that this has been a problem. Um, this was a problem in the uh, 60s. Um, where you know there were uh, these '60s pop bands that were uh, you know huge, um, but they didn't play on their records. You know there was that whole there was that whole uh, pack of guys. There's about twenty or thirty of them, and women uh, like uh, Carol Kay and Tommy Tedesco, oh, yeah. and guys like that were playing. Yeah. On, played, they played on all the rock records. In fact, the Beach Boys. A lot of people don't realize this. The Beach Boys in the studio didn't play. They didn't play their own stuff. No, <laughs> no, you know. So, and it's just sort of like, you know, a lot of this stuff is just kind of not known. So, so what are you doing? You said you're advocating for digital liner notes. So what's that all about? So 
you know, back in the heyday of, of the music, there's so many, and I, I've worked with a lot of um, quote-unquote side men. I kind of hate that term. I'm trying to find a new term to use. <laughs> They're not side, you know, I'm, I'm listening, you know, like, you listen to some of these records, and it's like, no, that's not, that's out front. That base is out front, you know. It's not off to the side. Um, but I, having worked with so many people who are studio musicians, I have a real sensitivity for that issue. And there, you know, there's so many of these people who are legends, you know, like Nathan East, the bass player, is a, is a legend in his own right because he's played on so many legendary records and he, he's developed a name and, and so, so many people look up to him as a bass player, but it's because he's known, right? It's because right. On, on so many records, you look, if you opened up the record or the CD liner notes, you saw his name on bass, you know, bass for babyface, bass for this, bass for that. So you were able to sort of follow this artist, because that's what he is, an artist, through an entire career. And if you're really like, if, if you're a geek, like a, a music geek like me, then sometimes you're buying records not just because of the artist who's out front, but because of the your favorite bass players playing on it or your favorite right. stuff on it. Well, what, what a lot of people don't realize, uh, Tanisha, is that these guys, I mean, yeah, they've got a chart in front of them, but, but that's an outline. And a lot of the stuff that you guys or your listeners out there like on these records, that guitar player or that keyboardist or bass player, they came up with on the spot in the studio. You guys all know the song The Beat Goes On by, by Sonny and Cher. Right. Carol, Carol Kay... The, just the studio musician, not just, but a great studio musician, created that. I mean, that's, but bass line to that song is like the song. It's everything other than the lyrics. It's basically that bass line and, and, those, and those lyrics. And she, she just pulled that, like, out of her butt, like, on the spot, just looked at the basic chord charts and said, well, what about this? And it was great. Exactly. So yeah, they're more than you're right that they're not sidemen because a lot of what they're doing is really the core of the song. I, I'm sorry, I had, I had to throw that in. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, 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 I sense your passion on this. Well, but um, another example would be the great guitarist, um, Mark Sharplin, who was sort of, they considered him to be sort of the, the fifth miracle or the fourth fifth miracle, yeah. Um, he was a guitarist for Motown, and he was sort of Smokey's right hand. And Tracks of My Tears is based on his signature guitar riff. So, you know, it, how much of that is, is, is was Smokey and how much of it was Marv? Well, you know, that's up to history to debate, but there's no denying that these, these men and women are just brilliant and they're coming up with things that are adding to the legendary status of so many of our favorite records. Um, so acknowledging them and making sure that they're known is, is important. And you're missing out on a whole generation, this digital era of people who are, are buying their music on iTunes and they maybe hear a great, you know, drum fill or a great bass line or great guitar riff. And they don't know who it is. That person just goes unacknowledged. And I feel like we're poor for it as a culture and as, as musicians trying to learn from other musicians. Um, so 
I, I feel like digital liner notes are just really important. Again, it, it emanates from my passion for artist advocacy and making sure that things continue to be communicated throughout, you know, throughout time. So I, I want people to know about Carol Kay 50 years from now or yeah. or 50 years from now, and I think digital liner notes are just so significant in that. Like, they should just come Whenever I buy, when I purchase a single, I would love to have a sort of, you know, meta document that comes with it that gives me the names of everybody who's playing on it. Um, because we want those people to be acknowledged, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, it doesn't cost anything. You know, I mean, it's a <laughs> it's a PDF file or whatever that just you know, I mean, that's it doesn't take a second to download, and you know, so there's really kind of like it's just a, I just think of it like what I'm kind of what what my sort of take on that is, Denisha, is that like the whole digital thing and everything just hasn't caught up yet with all with that side of it yet. You know, we're still you know, we're still arguing about that, and nobody, and so we're so, but, but it's here. So you know, we need to kind of say, okay, well, how do we make this? Why do we represent everybody, and how do we uh, make sure that these people that did this amazing work are are known? Well, the the least we can do is put a little file in there. <laughs> I mean, and say these are I mean, with digital technology, uh, Tanisha, you could put the person's whole bio in there. You like hey, this bass playing on this record? Check out all the other records this guy played on. That's exactly the concept that I'm going for, a sort of thing where, where you just have a tree of knowledge. You could just click on something and it's, hey, this is, you know, um, I don't know, J.R. Robinson on drums, and we click everything, and then everything that he's ever done just comes up, including the, you know, like the little side projects that um, are instrumental and not related to any other artist, you know. So I, I feel like, if we're going to promote musicians, then we should do it all the way. And one one easy way of doing that is just letting people know who plays. That's uh, I mean, it's so simple. It's a great idea. It's, uh, so um, yeah, I'm behind you on that all the way. So let me know if there's anything I can do to help make that happen. Um, let's uh, be, before we wrap up here. Um, you and I are both uh, uh, you know local to the Pittsburgh area, right? You're you're in Pittsburgh, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the vitality or the strength or what's going on with the Pittsburgh scene right now. Go ahead, jump in. Well, sure. Well, I think, so I've, most of my work over the, the course of my career has happened in Los Angeles and Atlanta, so, so sort of the West Coast, East Coast thing. Okay. And so for the longest time, I I was here, I, I would say I only sleep here in Pittsburgh because I I, I I was in L.A. or something, and I didn't really know what was happening. So in the past year, I've really had an opportunity to delve into the Pittsburgh scene, and it, it's just so striking to me. Like, even just last night, I was over at James Street, and, and um, Tanya Grubbs heads up a group called Traveling, and there's just amazing musicianship just everywhere in all kinds of genres. And I, I'm really, really passionate about supporting that too. First, just as a consumer, you know, when when someone is playing, I try to be there because before you can talk about managing someone 
or or advocating for artists, to me, you have to show up somewhere, like, outside of your professional duties. So I really try to make an effort to support my favorites here. So Tanya or Jessica Lee and um, Byron yeah, I met, I met. I, I've been following Jessica for a long time, and I, uh, I actually—it's been many years. I finally—I finally got to see her uh, perform actually Thursday night at like a little, uh, like a little restaurant with uh, Mark Strickland on guitar. He's an amazing artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark is a great guitarist too. <laughs> Absolutely. So no, it's—it's it's a really—and it's so like there's so much overlap, and it's—I I kind of enjoy the sort of. Uh, surprise of walking into a venue and you see the, the headlining name. You don't know who's going to be there, you know. And it's like, oh, wow, there's my favorite guitarist there, my favorite bass player, my favorite keyboardist, whatever. And um, I've, I've developed my favorites here. And and I'm just very proud of this city and what we produce musically. Um, we're, we're not L.A., we're not New York, but I feel like the funk resides in Pittsburgh in a very true and heavy way. So I'm happy all the time to represent the musicians here in the 412. <laughs> Representing the 412. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like cross-genre. It's the jazz, which, of course, we have such a rich legacy, but it's also the rock and the pop, too. Like we, we, We're producing stars all the time. And, um, you know, I just always feel like we should shout that out since we're Pittsburghers and proud well, of that. Well, there's, there's been some great, uh, you know, artists, uh, you know, come come out of the uh, uh, Pittsburgh uh, scene over the years, many, 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 in a lot of different genres as well. Uh, we had thriving jazz scene here. People don't realize that uh, George Benson is originally uh, from Pittsburgh. So, I mean, it's a lot of uh, – it, it's a very rich heritage Right here and um yep there's and and you know you can go out you can go out seven nights a week here guys and you can hear <laughs> you can hear like amazing stuff you know uh, you know just pick a neighborhood <laughs> south hills north hills you know uh, cultural district you know wherever you know there's something happening somewhere uh uh so you can uh definitely you can get into um Tanisha, if people want to contact you, for, uh, what, what's, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, email is always great, and my business email is Tanisha. My name is spelled T-A-N-I-S-H-A at TanishaJackson.com. Obviously, same spelling on that end. And uh, you can visit my website, which I totally need to update, at <laughs> www.TanishaJackson.com. Look, I can't do everything. okay and is there anything um upcoming or anything that we haven't covered yet that you would like to promote before we wrap up today um well i guess i will promote my lovely artist tamika peoples who will be uh seen very soon with leona lewis and working on her own thing and also i'll be working on a very special all women's music project and uh, just this sort of like a collaborative thing between Jessica, my sis, Jessica Lee, and myself. So um, I'm very excited about some of the things that are happening and some of the wonderful opportunities for creativity that are just 
erupting before me. So, yeah, those are the two major forthcoming things that I'll, I'll hip everyone to. Very good. That is, uh, even though it needs to be updated, you can still go to TanishaJackson.com. And uh, what was that? Oh, your social, you have social media, Tanisha? I do. So on Facebook, um, you can find me at www.facebook.com slash T-J-E-M-S, which stands for Tanisha Jackson Entertainment Management and Strategy. And on Twitter, I'm at Jackson Talent. There you have it, guys. Tanisha, thank you so much for taking some time on a, this beautiful Sunday morning to talk with us. Um, guys, please check out Tanisha if you are a burgeoning artist and you are uh, talented and you've, most importantly, you've got a great attitude. You're willing to you know, uh, get down and roll up your sleeves and get it done. Don't hesitate to, uh, to contact Tanisha. Um, and guys, you can uh, play the podcast back anytime at podcast.ludinirockandrollcircus.com. Tanisha, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon, but hang on here, all right? Sure. Thanks. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.